Welcome to Fellowship. My name is Michael. I'm on staff here, and I'm excited to be with you this morning as we jump into Advent and celebrate um, what Advent means. Before we get started, though, uh, in your bulletins, there's a lot of uh, different announcements. So I want to make sure that you look look through your bulletin. And also, uh, I think Ron mentioned this, but if you're new, I'd love for you to take that card out to the Connection Center, and we've got a little gift for you. But also on the back side of that card is how we keep up with prayer requests. So there's something going on in your life. If you want to write it down, the staff and the elders, we pray every week. Uh, so we'd love to join you in praying for you and with you. And then also under hope and love, during the last song, there'll be some folks up here that if something's going on in your, your heart today and you need some prayer, please come up and um, allow them to pray for you. They'd love to do that. And it's the gift that they have. So as we, uh, one last announcement that I want to make is our Christmas offering. There's an envelope like this on your seats. I'd love for you to grab that and take one with you. Uh, but just as a reminder, Eric kind of laid all this out uh, last week. But as a reminder, we are shifting our Christmas offering focus uh, to Operation Christmas Child. Used to, that happened at the Easter offering. But we are shifting that to our Christmas offering, and it makes really sen great sense, very wise move by our elders to do this, because they that team purchases things all year long in order to put those, I think we did 2,600 boxes um, this past year. And so I just, I want you to take this home, pray about it, see what God would have you do. Uh, we know that we're all in with OCC around here. A lot of our folks are down at the um, processing center right now. Uh, but we know that th these are not just shoeboxes, but this is the power of God through the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Literally the power of God through the gospel message. And so, you know, Eric talked about the, it's about 20 bucks a box is what it costs. That's the, what's in the box, the shipping, the training, the greatest gift package, the training for the folks on the other side of the box that share the gospel in these villages. Um, it is a wonderful opportunity to continue to share the transformational power of the gospel around the world. So this will help our team know how much money they have, what they're dealing with, how many boxes that we can pack in September during that special pack. So please take one of these home, commit to praying about it, and just saying, God, what, how do you want us to be involved in this this year through the Christmas offering? So excited about that and excited about that change as we move forward um, for our OCC team and what that means here um, as a body. Well, as we get moving this morning into the Advent season and, and jump in the Word for a minute as part of our worship service, I want to remind us what Advent is about. Advent literally is about preparation, preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ, preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus as we look back, but then also to prepare our hearts and our minds for his second coming, for the future, when he will come back and he will reign and make all things new. So that's what, that's what Advent is. It's a preparation of our hearts and of our minds to experience God experience his birth through Jesus Christ and experience his second coming. And so I want to gather our hearts and our minds in that place this morning. And the theme, if you look up there, it says the relational 
presence of God. That's kind of the theme that we're going to walk with. Not kind of a theme, that is the theme. That we're going to walk with through the story leading up to the birth of Christ. I'm going to talk about it in the garden, kind of in the beginning. Ken will talk about it through the tabernacle, the temple, then Shane, the prophets, and then Ken will come back and talk about it in the incarnation of the birth of Jesus. And then the future, the second coming, the future advent. But this idea of the presence of God, and the way that I'm going to kind of lay this out today is, is really through two areas. One is through his design, and then two is through his desire to be with us. As we look at some scriptures um, early in, in Genesis. In fact, we're going to start with one, one, one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word face, we're going to talk about in a little bit. So in the very beginning, when God is creating everything, he is creating the heavens and the earth. And this is his sanctuary. He is creating a place to dwell in a perfect place. And we get to see that. You know, most of us get to experience God's creation, whether you like the outdoors or not. If you go to the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon and you look at the, the view and at the majesty of what God's created, or if you've ever been somewhere and you like to snorkel or you know, enjoy the ocean and you see the depths and the beauty that lies beneath the waters, all the different species of fish and the reef. and I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Or if you even spend some time in your backyard watching sunsets or, or watching the sunrise, you see the beauty of everything that God created. Even though we live in a broken world where things are decaying and things are breaking down until the point where there's a new heaven and a new earth. And even to the point where we get to look up into the star and see the endless cosmos as you look out and you even, I mean, it's hard for us to even really imagine what's going on in the spiritual realm and out there. But all of that, everything that we experience, everything that we see is created for God. I mean, in the Genesis story, we get to see the, him separate light from darkness he separates the land from the waters. He creates everything that you see, the plants, the animals. And ultimately, he gets to his crowning creation, which is you and I. But all of this is for him to dwell with us. Like I said, this is his sanctuary. And we know, and we'll look at this a little bit later this morning, it does get broken but then it's the pursuit of him continuing to come after us in all the different ways as we get to see and walk through his literal presence coming with him. And it's not like he just sent his presence, but it is the essence of everything about him, everything within him. That is his presence. And all of that was in his creation in the beginning. And as he saw it and he talked about it, he said, this is good. And this is where I'm going to dwell. So he created the heavens and the earth, a place for him to physically and spiritually dwell. 
But he didn't stop there, but he created you and I, a people to dwell with and eventually dwell in. Look at this in uh, Genesis 1, 26, 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over everything. So it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. So right from the beginning, he creates you and I. He creates little image bearers. I think Ken talked about this a little while back, that this idea of image, it's almost like statues that are being placed throughout eternity. That he created you and I to reflect everything about him. His beauty, his strength, his compassion, his love, his glory. That's what we do. We get to reflect that as image bearers. We get to reflect everything about him because he created us. That presence is with us, and we get to reflect that for the rest of time. So he puts his image bearers in his creation, which is perfect, in the garden, and he creates his image bearers and says, oh, this is very good. This is very good. And then we get to reflect every bit of that, all that he is. And it goes on, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So we get to see early on that there's special attention taken to creating man, that he actually breathes the breath of life, and the man becomes a living being. You know, we only share this with animals. Animals have the breath of We have the breath of life. But obviously, we are very different. We have the capacity and the ability to connect with God on a really deep level. We have the ability to communicate with God, to relate to him in a way unlike anything else than anything in his creation. And so not only did he, ref did he create us to be image bearers who reflect everything about him, but he also created us with the special design to be able to relate to him in a way that only you and I can. And it continues. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he gives this warning, but he, he lays out the garden. He takes man, creates it in his image with detail, with design, with precision to relate to him, and then he puts them in the garden. And I love this part because we are to fill the earth and subdue it. And this is really important because God wants to be with us. As we're talking about his presence and as we continue to talk about his pursuit that goes through the entire scripture, God wants to be with us. And we get to reign and, or rule and have dominion along with God. It's not this idea of God, of us working for God, but it's doing this together. God says, I've created it all. This is my sanctuary. And I'm here with you. 
and I've created you, my little, my little image bearer, my little statue, and I want you to have dominion over everything, and we're going to do this together. We're going to reign together. We're going to rule together. In a sense, we're almost like we're co-creators as Adam was given authority to name all of the animals. And so this is what's going on in the very beginning through his design as his presence. Everything about him is not just out there, but it is coming through and in us in his creation. And then it goes on, and I love what he does here. He says, but Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs. He closed up its place with flesh. And that rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. And he brought her to man. So we also see that not only did God create us to bear his image, but he goes, you know, Adam, Adam needs someone with him. So he creates Eve from Adam. And now they're together. And so we, we see from the very beginning this idea of having this incredible connection with God. This incredible relationship that he desires that we're going to look at a little bit, little bit later. But through his design, he goes, these are my image bearers. And I've made them so unique. And I've breathed the breath of life into them that we can relate and have communion with one another. But then he says, but I'm also going to create others for them so that they can go and replicate and reproduce and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And so God says they can also relate to one another. So in the very beginning, we see this idea of connection, deep connection with God and a deep connection with humanity. All the while, we're his image bearers and his presence is with him and coming down through his creation and through us. And we have this incredible connection to him and to one another. It's a quote from Tremper Longman, my Old Testament teacher. He says, the story is told in a way that will underline the tremendous blessing that God confers on Adam and Eve. They aren't just given mere existence, but a rich and vital life in the very presence of God, as we're talking about this, to see and to understand that he, that he didn't just go, hey, I'm going to create my sanctuary, then I'm going to create these things that I kind of shoo off to the side and just let them do their... No, he created us to have a connection with him. Not just to exist, but to exist, to relate to him, and to relate to one another. And it was rich, and it was vital, and it was in his presence. In the beginning, and I know this is going to be severed, and we're going to get there in just a minute, but in the beginning, at the very beginning, the perfect way that he had it created, we had perfect harmony with him. Perfect communion. We were in a right relationship, a secure relationship with the Almighty, enjoying this creation that he had created, ruling over it with him, with another Adam and Eve together, and it was the perfect design as he set it up. And that's exactly how he wanted it to be. The perfect design, the perfect place, and these deep, deep connections. But we're going to see that as 
the fall takes place, that that is going to be severed. But God continues. That's what we're going to talk about, this idea of God's relational presence. Going through the Old Testament, through the temple, the tabernacle, through the prophets, ultimately ending with Jesus Christ and then the Holy Spirit. And then returning in the very end. So it's not just this idea of presence was given and then it's gone. But we're going to see it continue through his desire to be with us. There's a book uh, Duvall's and Hayes wrote, talks about God's relational presence. And this is a quote out of it. It says, the triune God desires a personal relationship with his people and so makes his presence known to establish and cultivate this relationship. In other words, this relational presence of God lies at the heart of the Bible's overall message, at the heart of biblical theology. So we see that God, he instituted it, and he established it in the garden, and he was cultivating that relationship with mankind in the very beginning. That perfect union that I was just talking about. That perfect connection, that secure relationship. And that was his design. And ultimately, that will be where he ends up. But we know that there was, there was a break in that because of sin, because of disobedience, there was a break in that. But there's a word that we're going to look at, that we're going to see as we look through this this morning, and it's panim. Read this with you. It says, panim is one of the most prolific words in the Hebrew Bible. It shows up over 2,100 times and is translated as face, but also as presence. We've seen that. As surface, that was the word where it said, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep or the face. Front, before, countenance. We'll hear that in a verse later. But this idea of God's presence or his face being with us. Goes on to say, but the word face is profoundly significant because it's a key theme that ribbons through the Bible from the beginning in Genesis when we are exiled from God's presence, which we'll see in just a minute or God's face in the Garden of Eden, to the very end of the book in Revelation, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 says, When we become reunited with Yahweh's face in the Garden. So what starts in the very beginning with being in His presence, being in His face, having His face shine upon you, if you will, all the way to Revelation when He says, I will be face to face with Him again, and my face will be before them. So this is the, the theme that rolls through in this word panim that we see over, over and over throughout the scriptures. In Numbers, it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So we continue to see this idea of God's face shining on us, his presence being with us, and this idea of being face-to-face with the Lord. And that's what they were experiencing in the garden. That was the perfect, secure relationship, and that's what was going on in their lives. And let's think about this for a moment, this idea of, 
of being face-to-face. I mean, as you and I experience this with one another, I mean, being face-to-face with a person, you sense things, don't you? You sense, you can see and sense joy, or you can give off joy, I mean, by a facial expression, when people are happy. You also sense deep hurt and deep pain as well when you sit face-to-face with somebody. I mean, you can understand those things, and you can see those things physically when you're face-to-face with someone. In fact, there's a lot of neurobiological studies that show with young babies that they're not able to even regulate what's going on in their lives. They're not able to regulate their emotions. And that's why uh, mothers will sit and look at their child. And what goes on when they're they're face-to-face is the mother is actually helping the baby regulate or co-regulate their neuropathways. I mean, this is fascinating stuff. And this isn't beyond God. He knew what he was doing. Think about these verses that talk about, let his face shine upon you. But as people, and a mother looks at the child, and the child actually sees the mother seeing the child, and the neuropathways are starting to form of what's going on emotionally, the love, and the things that they're understanding and feeling. And it, it doesn't just happen, with ba- it continues as kids grow up, as they see the face of us, as we look at them, as we communicate, even with adults. I mean, this is a, such an interesting thing. And here's a quote by Kurt Thompson about this idea of this mother co-regulating with the baby. He says, a baby will see herself and come to understand herself primarily through what she witnesses in her mother's response. Isn't that fascinating? But that's what's going on with one another. That's what's going on with humanity. And it happens with us. As we empathize, as we see others, as we walk with people, as we walk with our family, our friends, those in our community of believers, when we're face-to-face with one another. And we express that joy or we express concern over loss. I mean, there are deep things happening as we look at this. But what happens in the garden, those deep things get severed. They get severed because of sin and disobedience, but God doesn't stop there. So this is the story of Adam and Eve. We know this story. This is after... They've been tempted. They've eaten of the apple. Um, they realize that they're, they're naked and they're now in a place where they're ashamed when they hear God coming because of what took place through the temptation and them thinking, hey, we can, we can do this ourselves. We can figure this out ourselves. But once they do this, this is what takes place. It says, and then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence. There's that word again. Literally from the face of the Lord among, they hid among the trees in the garden. And so you've got this scene playing out where they hear the Lord coming. And this cool of the day, it's really interesting. Well, one, you've got this almost um, physical portrayal of God 
in a, in a human state of strolling and walking through the garden. But really, the, when you look at these words and you study them, it's more like a storm, a rushing storm, because judgment is coming. Because judgment takes place right after this. But they're in awe. They're in, they have this healthy fear because they know something is not right anymore. They realize they have done something wrong. What was secure, what was right, what was perfect harmony, what ha- where they had perfect communion, that has been broken, and they feel it. They understand it, and they literally hide from his presence. And then as the story plays out, we see him ask this question. And we're going to see it again with the story of Cain. He says, what have you done? What have you done? And they walk through that. But I think it's fascinating what God does. Because a little bit later, before they're driven out of the garden, it says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the member of all she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So they made a little poor, you know, poor attempt. They grabbed some leaves, some fig leaves, because they knew they felt the shame. But God says, no, I'm going I'm to provide for you. Even in your sin and disobedience, I'm going to offer you grace. And I'm going to cover you. And I'm going to cover you with what? Skins from an animal who had to be killed. So there's shedding of blood as a show of grace. We're going to experience that later today as we share communion. So there's shedding of blood, but there's provision for Adam and Eve. So even though there's this disobedience, God desires to be with his people. Even though they're set up now and it's been severed, he's going, I'm going to give you a foreshadowing of what's coming. That there's going to be blood shed, but I'm going to provide for you. And he's still with them. And we see the same thing play out with Cain. Tripper Longman says this, says, never again will life be the same. The blessing of God on human beings has been severely disrupted. So what was perfect harmony, perfect communion in the way that God intended it in his original design has now been separated because of disobedience and sin. But he doesn't stop there. He continues. Here's the story of Cain. So Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden. They have Cain and Abel. Many of us know this story too, that they bring offerings to the Lord. He accepts Abel's. He tells Cain, yours is unacceptable because of your attitude with which you brought it. And then he confronts him and says, hey, do what's right and you'll be accepted. Cain gets frustrated. What does he do? Gets Abel out in the field, kills him. And then here we have this interaction again where God comes out and is dealing with Cain. Same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. He says, what what have you done? And of course, Cain tries to cover it up. But then he's going to get driven out as well. But look at what it says. It says, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. There it is again. From your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And I will put a mark on Cain 
so that whoever found him attacks him, he would take care of it. So here's the thing. So once again, we see this same pattern. There's sin, there's disobedience, there's judgment. But then God offers a token of grace because he wants to be with us. He desires to be with us. He doesn't want this to be separated. He wants to be with us. And so we see this with Adam and Eve, where he provided the coverings. We see this with Cain, where he protected him with this mark. And then look at what it goes on. It says, Then Cain went away from the presence, there's that word again, of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So as I was thinking about both of these stories, I mean, you see this tremendous pain and agony. Yes, brought on about, brought on by themselves. But you still see the absence of being with God. The absence of being what was in this perfect union, this perfect presence. But once that was severed, but the agony that goes on, Adam and Eve were ashamed and they hid. Cain, it says, one of the versions says, this punishment is too much for me as he's driven away from the very presence of God. But it's so interesting, and we're going to continue to walk through this as we see these moments and this thread of God's presence being with his people. Because that's his ultimate desire. His desire is not to go, well, you failed, I'm done. But he goes, no, I'm going to... And in these stories, and we see it again in the flood, in the Tower of Babel, there's judgment, but then there's a token of grace as a look forward of what's to come. And he desires to be involved with us. He has not abandoned us. Even in the times where we could think, gosh, yeah, he's probably going to be done. I mean, we've just finished the survey of the Old Testament. Think about all the stories that we went through where you would, most of us would go, I would have been done a long time ago with these people. But God continues to pursue, and he continues to pursue, and he continues to pursue. And that's what we get to celebrate as we look forward or we look back to the birth of Christ and look forward to the second coming, is this desire for God to be with his people and not rule over them, but to be with them and his presence to be with them. And as I was thinking about this pain, this agony, this the fear of the Lord, what was going on, I was listening to this podcast actually with Tremper Longman and his best friend, Dan Allender, who's a therapist, and he said this, and they were talking about this idea of, of fear, but the fear of the Lord is a, is a good thing. He said this, said the idea of fear that causes you to want to go toward is so paradoxical. It doesn't fit any experience that I think most people have. In many ways, it's the fear of goodness. He said, in the presence of something so very good, I'm personally exposed as not being as good as the other while simultaneously draw, drawn to the other because I know, listen to this, I know that in the presence of God, I have the only life I'm ever going to find that is beautiful and that is compelling and that is true. The only life that is beautiful and that is compelling, that is true, is in the presence of God. So this idea of God's presence is so key in our lives. 
And the fact and the truth that his presence didn't cease to exist, but all that he was, everything about him, he continues to lean in and pursue us with his grace and his mercy. God's relational presence begins in the garden and is woven through time, culminating in his presence with us for eternity. And not only with us, but in us. We get to celebrate that. We know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and his presence is within us. And yet at the second coming, he's also going to reign and be with us when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. I'm excited to see what Ken talks about next week as we look at the tabernacle and the temple and continue this theme of God's presence through our Advent messages. Here's some next steps. What one thing will you do this Advent season to experience God's presence in your daily life? What's one thing? What's something you'll do, time you'll spend, maybe meditate on something? What will you do that'll help you focus on what really matters? And then what distraction do you need to remove to focus solely on Christ? I mean, we live in the most chaotic <laughs> time, feels like. These filled distractions are everywhere. What do, you need to, what do you need to remove to really give you the opportunity to focus on what this time of year really means? What it means for you and I as believers, as followers of Jesus, what do you need to, what's something you can do to experience that? Whether that's alone with, with other believers in your home churches, in your small groups, or what's something that you need to personally go, you know what, I've got I've to move this distraction away from myself so that I can truly focus on what matters, the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of our Savior. And that's what we get to celebrate this Advent season.